This is Louisiana Considered on WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge. I'm Diane Mack. Just ahead on today's show, a major exhibit at the New Orleans Museum of Art focuses on black American studio photographers and gives viewers a unique invitation into black culture. And we catch up with 2023 Grammy nominees. But first... Last week, New Orleans City Council approved a nearly $1.5 billion budget for 2023. Our New Orleans Metro reporter, Carly Berlin, has the details on budget priorities for the new year, especially when it comes to housing and transportation. She joins us now. Carly, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So, $1.5 billion, that's a lot of money. Tell us, what are some of the big ticket items in the budget for next year? So the single biggest chunk of money, $100 million, is for an emergency reserve fund. The idea is that during future emergencies like hurricanes or, God forbid, another pandemic, the city will have this fund to draw from to cover upfront costs. And that's especially important because aid from the federal government during disasters usually works as a reimbursement. As for some other big budget items, over $30 million is set aside for a big police recruitment and retention package. About $20 million is earmarked for, quote-unquote, blight remediation and beautification, so things like grass cutting and going through the backlog of illegal trash dumping complaints. There's also $15 million set aside for a new power substation at the Sewage and Water Board's Carrollton plant, which council members have said will, quote, increase reliability and end boil water advisories. You mainly focus on housing and transportation in New Orleans. What are some of the budget priorities in those areas for 2023? So there's $5 million set aside to address homelessness and hire new staff to craft a plan to serve the unhoused population here. That's going to be funded by some of the city's remaining federal COVID relief money. There's also $200,000 set aside to create a comprehensive citywide plan for electric vehicle charging stations. The city has already been installing some of these charging stations on city-owned property. Maybe you've seen some of them around town at this point. There's also an ordinance in place that directs the city to begin transitioning its own fleet of vehicles to EVs. But that development has been sort of piecemeal so far. That's according to Council Member Leslie Harris's office. She introduced the idea for this plan. And the hope is that this will now create opportunities for more community input about charging locations in the future and also help kind of court more federal funding down the line. There's also a special earmark for bike lane removal in the budget. Listeners might remember that back in September, the city council voted unanimously to remove a few miles of protected bike lanes in Algiers. That followed months of heated debate about parking and traffic and and safety. Well, now council member Freddie King, who represents Algiers, has requested money to take out the bike lanes there. $300,000 is set aside in the budget specifically for that. That's not the only story you've been following that saw a big update during the budget process. Yeah, that's right. So earlier this fall, I covered the Healthy Homes Ordinance, which sets basic living standards for all rental housing in New Orleans. Things like having a working smoke detector, making sure there aren't signs of mold or rodents, etc., 
the city council passed that ordinance a little over a month ago at the beginning of November, but they had changed it pretty substantially from its original form, which would have required that most rentals be subject to regular proactive inspections, making sure that, you know, they met those standards. Now they'll only be inspected after problems come up. But the council also directed the city to create some new inspector positions that would be dedicated to looking into healthy homes violations. Those positions aren't clearly laid out in the mayor's draft budget or in the amendments that the city council made last week before they voted, but I was curious about them. So I followed up with city officials after the vote, and they confirmed to me that four new inspector jobs will be added for next year. Carly Berlin covers New Orleans for WWNO. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. Called to the Camera, a major exhibition focusing on Black American studio photographers and their impact on the medium from the 19th century to present day, continues its run at NOMA, the New Orleans Museum of Art. The groundbreaking show organized by NOMA features the works of dozens of photographers from across the country and gives viewers a unique invitation into black culture. More than 150 photographs are on display, many of which have never been publicly exhibited until now. Dr. Brian Piper is the exhibition curator and NOMA's assistant curator of photographs. He joins us now. Brian, welcome to Louisiana Considered. Thank you so much, Diane. It's it's wonderful to be speaking with you. And congratulations to you on this awe-inspiring adventure. I can't imagine the amount of work that went into finding and selecting the photos for this exhibit. What was the inspiration for the show, and how did you pull it together? Some of this work comes out of my doctoral dissertation, which was about Black-owned photography studios as sort of incubators of culture and political activity, businesses, as well as places where very important visual culture was produced. So I've been working on these ideas for a long time, but when I came to NOMA about five years ago, part of my mission was to produce an exhibition about it. And so for about the past five years, I've been working on sourcing and looking for really just phenomenal photographs by a wide range of photographers around the country, traveling to different archives, talking to photographers themselves, collectors, and other institutions, and families that had photographs, and finding the work that we would bring to New Orleans and and put in the exhibition. Who are some of the photographers featured in the show? There are over 30 photographers included in the exhibition, and some are names of photographers that are, you know, really nationally known, like James Vanderzee in New York or Addison Skurlock in Washington, D.C. We're also trying to bring attention to some maybe more regionally known or lesser known photographers, like the Hooks Brothers in Memphis, Tennessee, Arthur Macbeth in Baltimore, or Reverend Henry Clay Anderson in Mississippi. And we've also managed to include some really important New Orleans photographers in the exhibition. There's a number of works from Arthur P. Baidu, from Florestine Peralt Collins, and even a work by Villard Padillo, as well as Arthur Peralt in the exhibition. So it really runs the gamut. And we really wanted to illustrate that black studio photographers were working in every region of the country from the early 20th century. How is the show organized? Well, when you come to visit, you'll enter a room that really starts the story in the 19th century because black Americans were active in photography 
from its earliest moments here on both sides of the camera, taking photographs, making photographs, as well as commissioning their own portraits. So you'll enter a room that is quite dark and cozy for the safety of the photographs, but it also helps you see the works a little bit better. And so in that room in the 19th century, you'll see work by Augustus Washington and James Presley Ball, as well as some one-of-a-kind unique portrait on a daguerreotype of Frederick Douglass. You'll move through that gallery, you'll encounter a number of other photographers, but you'll also come across the first example of a contemporary photographer who is working in ways that sort of look back at the portrait tradition that came out of these Black-owned studios. In the second gallery of the exhibition is an immersive space that's really a recreation of Addison Scurlock's Washington, D.C. studio at 900 U Street in 1911. But it has a really a salon hang packed installation with photographs from all over the country, really great portraits. And from there, it sort of breaks up into what we might call maybe mini exhibitions or focused looks at some of the names I've mentioned before, like Beidou, like Vandersee, Morgan and Marvin Smith from New York. And then as we sort of wrap up the exhibition, there's an examination of the daily work that these photographers could expect to do during the 20th century through the really great collection of the Hooks Brothers in Memphis, Tennessee, we were able to source a number of paper elements and ephemera that really illustrate the daily work of these photographers. Now, the major focus is on the studio portraits, Mm -hmm. but there are other looks into Black culture that are on exhibit. Tell us about those works. Yeah, they were also producing a wide array of photographic work that ranged from freelance photojournalism to advertising photographs to making group portraits for HBCUs or church groups or fraternal groups. They're out in the world outside of the studio as well, making these really, really dynamic and exciting photographs that prove and show that they were absolutely at the forefront of developments in broader photography and what we now describe as art photography, showing elements of pictorialism and real modernist sensibilities. And through those, you get to see really the great diversity of black American life across the country and even within sometimes the same city where there were multiple photographers. One photograph that I've been thinking a lot um, recently is, you know, you start to hear Christmas music and Santa Baby comes on the radio. A really wonderful photograph of Eartha Kitt leading a dance class at the Harlem YMCA by Austin Hansen, who was active in New York for over six decades. How does this show further the story of the history of American photography? Figures like Deborah Willis and Bell Hooks and Jeannie Mutasami Ash have done a great deal to really start the study of black American photography or, you know, really elevate it several decades ago. But this exhibition gathers together a cohort, so to speak, of photographers who were working professionally in neighborhoods and in these portrait studios that have not always been, you know, considered as part of the development of what we might call fine art photography with a big F and a big A. And art institutions have neglected this work historically because of the race of the sitters and the photographers. But photography has had a long journey to really earn its place on the walls of art museums. And 
for much of that history, work that was either you know made for money or seen as everyday, like the portraits that you you might have in your house, were not really considered part of that big F, big A fine art photography. So these have sort of you know been left out of many narratives of the popular history of photography for those reasons. But that's changing in some ways. We're starting to think of everyday photography as more important and part of the ways that people used photography. And we're trying to correct that, which is especially important. You know, these, these portrait studios were a primary way that black Americans were using and experiencing photography before everyone had a camera in their pocket on their phone. So if you aren't telling that story, you're neglecting an entire part of photographic history, especially in this country. So we wanted to bring that in and really show how those photographers are part of the development of the history of photography and really what we should consider fine art photography today. Dr. Brian Piper, exhibition curator and NOMA's assistant curator of photographs. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking with you and I hope to see everybody at the New Orleans Museum of Art soon. The exhibit called to the camera. Black American studio photographers will be on view at NOMA through January 8th. Listening to Louisiana Considered on WWNO in New Orleans and WRKF in Baton Rouge. I'm Diane Mack. Lake Charles Creole rock and soul musician Sean Ardouin and LSU's Golden Band from Tigerland are in the running for a Grammy in the Best Regional Roots Music Album category. It's a first for the Golden Band. Ardouin, now a four-time Grammy nominee, and his band Creole Rock and Soul collaborated with LSU to produce the album Full Circle. Ardouin and two of the marching band members join us now. Welcome to Louisiana Considered. Hey, thank you, Diane. We appreciate it. Congratulations to everyone. Sean, who Thank are you so much. Who are the band members joining us today? We have uh, Hank Jamison and John Blair. Hank Jamison and John Blair. Tell me, Hank and John, what did you experience when you learned that this collaborative album, Full Circle, was nominated? This is Hank. And being in Tiger Band has always been a dream of mine my whole life. And getting to do something like this on this level... Then getting this sort of validation from the uh, nomination has really been just unbelievable. This is John. For me, I would say it was such a cool experience. Walking in, I really didn't have too much of an idea of what we were doing. I knew we were working with this really cool artist. I thought this would be a fun project. But being in that moment and being in a room with such talented musicians and people from all different backgrounds of music was so cool. And then just listening to us and how we put all these styles together was so rewarding. And, like, being nominated for a Grammy is so cool, and it just shows how hard we work and all the hard work we put into it. What was it that made you volunteer to record the album? I feel like when we're in marching band, it's always marching band and go, 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 and play things. And we never get to explore too many other styles. So it was really cool. I wanted to try something different and see what other kind of music I can really play into. And I've never done much of Louisiana and Creole rock and soul kind of style so it was really fun fitting into Sean's sound and trying something different. 
for me, you know, Dr. Jones, our band director, asked me to volunteer on this album and actually arrange one of the charts for it. And getting to, you know, sit with Sean's music, you know, in a very intimate setting and, you know, get to know it from the back of my hand and get to put my own twist even on Fireworks, one of the songs on the album. Just a really cool opportunity, and I jumped on it as soon as I could. Diane, what's cool about the fact that uh, Dr. Jones put it up for volunteers is that we had 146 volunteers. And then when he put it out to the ones who arranged by tanking them, he said, you know, would you like to arrange? And Hank jumped on it. And when we recorded this, I was so, so impressed with the arrangement of fireworks. It's still today one of my favorite arrangements of my song. And it's really cool because my son wrote the song. So whenever he heard it, oh my God, he was, he was extremely excited. And I see So how did the idea come about to collaborate with the uh, marching band? Well, I was in the marching band uh, when I was at LSU. So I've always had a soft spot for the, you know, for the golden band and, you know, and just marching bands in general. But we were at the Auburn game last year and Dr. Jones introduced me to the assistant band director and the assistant band director said something about a Grammy. And I looked at Dr. Jones and said, well, Dr. Jones, he said, if the Tiger band does my music with me and my band and we put it in my category, First of all, we're going to make history. Second of all, we got a really good shot to win. You know, and I said, it's something that's never been done. I think it'd be awesome. And he said, let's do it. And I was like, what? Let's do it. Let's go. <laughs> and so then I contacted my friends at Personas because, of course, it's, it's a daunting task. You don't take a marching band to a recording studio. So I talked to, uh, to Rick uh, Nogby at Personas, and, uh, who is also an LSU grad, and the, uh, the owners of Personas are also LSU grads. And I was like, hey, guys, would y'all like to partner with me to do this album? They were like, yes. And they sent me a 64-channel mixing board, and we turned the band room into a recording studio. And my, my friend Carl Napa, who was the engineer, he came down from St. Louis, about 30 microphones, and we just mic'd them up and went to work. <laughs> what is it that makes this album a groundbreaking work? Well, no artist and marching band has ever collaborated for an entire project from front to back. There have been artists who've used bands and portions of bands for parts of their albums, but never for the entirety of a project. It's history making. And then whenever we got the nomination, first collegiate band to get a Grammy nom. We can still say that, even though later we found out that uh, TSU, Tennessee State, also got nominated. But we're the first bands to be nominated for a Grammy. So it's history making all the way around. It's, it's, it's phenomenal. So tell us more about what it was like recording the album and what musical genres are included. So the genres included are Creole rock and soul and Zotico, and maybe a little bit of hip-hop and pop because of the song LSU Chant Song is basically a rap tune, a high tune. <laughs> but um, yeah, so to have the, the, the university, the flagship university's band playing Louisiana's you know, music with a Louisiana artist, you know, this is all Louisiana. A Louisiana company, uh, company's um, tools were the one used to record it. And then we're getting the vinyl printed at New Orleans Vinyl. It's a complete Louisiana project from top to bottom. Wow. Now, let's talk about how difficult it was to coordinate all of this with all of those band members and your band. Well, I found out why it had never been done before, Diane. <laughs> <laughs> 
it, it took a lot. But the, the Tiger Band is so efficient at what they do that all I had to do was plug into the systems that they already had in place, tap into their systems of doing things, and, you know, we got the schedules together. And, you know, they're a finely tuned machine. So everything just ran the way it's supposed to go. Now, the guys can tell you, you know, like, Hank and John, you know, what was your experience like doing the recording? You know, I had no idea what was going to happen going in. You know, they said they were setting up a studio in the band room. I was like, huh? <laughs> um, but, you know, once I got in there, you know, like Sean said, uh, well-old machine. It was uh, three very, very long days and a lot of playing. But, you know, at the end, it was well worth it, well over anything I could have ever asked for. Did I hear you say you recorded the complete album in three days? That's what I was about to correct him on. They're so good, it was done in basically less than two days because we recorded from 6 to 9 on Friday, 9 a.m. to 9.30 on Saturday, and 11 to 2.30 on Sunday. So it, it, it's, less than, it's less than two days. Yeah. The whole thing. Let's talk about some of the songs on Full Circle. What will listeners experience? You know, they're going to get a great experience uh, from top to bottom. We start off with the song they used to warm up by Strauss. John, what is the name of that song? The name of that song is Sarah Thrustra. We play that whenever we enter wherever we and we play it the first thing we play, and it gets the crowd riled up. Awesome. When I heard them play that, I was like, hey, let's record that. And I wanted to put that at the beginning of the album, and the beginning song is called Came Through Pulling. LSU Came Through Pulling. So you got this big old fanfare by the band, and then we come in, you know, the tubers come in, boom, boom. Boom, 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 right? It's just a big intro. So it's basically a whole album of Zydeco, Creole rock and soul music with the LSU chant song, which has become, in my opinion, the new LSU anthem. You know, it's something that's mm -hmm. going to be with the Tiger Nation for years to come. So we also have a song called Keep On Moving. It's been featured, like, whenever I've had a chance to play on TV shows. Keep On Moving and Pulling are, are two of those songs that, that we, you know, they generally ask for. We go from traditional Zydeco to the Creole rock and soul stuff, and then we ended off, Diane, with the national anthem. I did the national anthem in a different way, so I sang it traditionally with one note under it. It's pretty affecting when you listen to it. So who else is in the running in this Best Regional Roots Music Album category? Nathan Williams and the Zydeco Cha-Cha's, Ranky Tanky is in it, and two Hawaiian artists are in it. But, you know, we're believing that you know, we're going to come home to Statuette. State of Louisiana is going to shine and be the Grammy winner, you know, for this next year. If God says the same, we're coming back with it, you know. The Grammys are still peer-voted. And that's why it means so much, because we're voted just by our peers. Yeah. 2023 Grammy nominees, Creole rock and soul musician Sean Ardouin and LSU's Golden Band from Tigerland members, John Blair and Hank Jameson. Congratulations. You make us proud. Thank you so much, Dan. Thank you. Thank you. The 65th Annual Grammy Awards will air at 6 p.m. Central, Sunday, February 5th on CBS. WRKF in Baton Rouge and WWNO in New Orleans. This has been Louisiana Considered. I'm Diane Mack. Thanks to our guests, 
New Orleans Metro reporter Carly Berlin, Dr. Brian Piper, NOMA's assistant curator of photographs, and 2023 Grammy nominees, Creole rock and soul musician, Sean Ardoin, and LSU's Golden Band from Tigerland members, Hank Jamison and John Blair. Our managing producer is Alana Schreiber, and our digital editor is Caitlin Umholtz. Our engineers are Garrett Pittman and Aubrey Procell. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at noon and 7.30 p.m. It's available on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience, with additional support from Louisiana Farm Bureau Federation.